Episode 10 of Glass of Joe is a go. I'm PJ Glasser, joined by Joe Malfa. Double digits. Double digits. We made it. We did. We did. Goes by, I mean, pretty quick, I got to say. Now we got sports. Uh, We've had baseball back now for four or five days. We got NBA, NHL coming up here in the next couple of days. But, Joe, we were just all so excited to have baseball back. It was looking great. They did their last round of COVID testing. I think like seven players in the entirety of Major League Baseball had tested positive. And then those damn Florida Marlins, those Miami Marlins now. uh, Doesn't matter what we call them. (laughs) Sucked all the energy out of everybody. And I think now it's up to 18 guys as we record this on Wednesday that have tested positive, totally shaking up. The schedule for a bunch of teams. The Orioles were supposed to play the Marlins. Now they're playing the Yankees today and tomorrow. The Phillies, who were supposed to play the Yankees, now are off until the weekend. The Nationals, who were supposed to get the Marlins in the weekend series, they're not traveling to Miami anymore. So we got a whole lot of stuff going on. But, Joe, what I wanted to get into you with, and I know we have the same feeling, is the fact that the Marlins knew that they had players – that had Dude, I, I'm about to go on a rant. Like I, I don't, I don't even know, I don't even know how to react to this honestly anymore. When who I do you bl- like, who do you think should take sole blame for it? Is it Jeter and the ownership group? Is it the players themselves? Is it Don Mattingly? I think it's, I think it's, I don't think there is sole blame. I think it's collectively a bunch of idiots. I, I, I don't. I'm trying to clean it up and not like <laughs> go too bad into this. It's, I don't know how dumb a group of people could possibly be. It's one thing if teams don't properly follow masks or anything like that, uh, and you're playing with danger, but you hope for the best. Wrong, but you know what? Unfortunately, people are going to have lapses in this. But to know that multiple guys tested positive and have a players meeting to determine what the health people should be determining and still go out there and play a game that is in a different atmosphere of stupidity and selfishness. And just, I, I mean, I don't even know. There really are no words I mean, to describe it's it. It's speechless. That has got to be one of, in the words of, of, of Bill Walton, when he does his, uh, his Pac-12 after dark, that's got to be one of the 10 dumbest things in the history of humanity. That, that honestly has to be one of the 10 dumbest things in the history of humanity. How could you have a players meeting to decide that you're going to continue playing when you have all these positive tests? Blows my mind. Still the most incredible thing, too, is that everybody else, after Soto and the Marlins, there have been no other positive tests. So I think that's what kind of is – some positivity through all this while games are probably why the games are still probably being played. But I mean, I'm with you for the Marlins to know when, when COVID started and commissioners started to put a return of play motion into action, you would hope that one thing that was kind of an unwritten rule was accountability of yes. players and coaches and teams. And not, not even that, just, just a, a pure thing. It should have been line one a, if you have positive tests, you don't play a game. Because it's, by playing that game, the Marlins hurt themselves more than anybody. Yes. They can't feel the team now for at least a week and a half, two now, weeks. Now, one thing I did notice was that when Rob Manford was asked, like, what would prompt them stopping baseball? And he was like, if, if there are enough players were out that it rendered the competition unfair. The Marlins have a dozen players that have tested positive and are going to be out. I just love that we're all just kind of glossing over the fact that 
Rob Manfred essentially said, yeah, the Marlins were a bunch of spare parts anyway, and this doesn't really affect the integrity of the competition. It's so true. I know. (laughs) If this were the Yankees and it was Stanton, Torres, Judge, and Aaron Boone, among others, they would have shut down immediately. But it's – I, I couldn't even name half the Marlins who have tested positive. I don't think they made the names public anyway, but even no. if they did, like, I wouldn't know who half of them even are. Uh, I'm with you. And I think baseball not being in a bubble, still wanting to make this as normal as possible with teams playing in their own stadiums and traveling to different ballparks, you know, th- this was big to see how an outbreak can occur throughout a dugout, through a clubhouse. But as of now, we have not heard any – Phillies that have tested positive, which is good because I think that a bunch of people wanted to see a team that has COVID playing against another team. How would that look? Obviously, baseball and when you look at football, much different from a contact standpoint and social distance. But so far, no Phillies have tested positive, thankfully. But Marlins, I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, like, that's a very good sign that the Phillies together. Haven't, of course, it's a very good sign that the Phillies haven't tested positive. Again, if, if you think about it, baseball you shouldn't play a game with one team having positive tests against the other period. But of all the sports that could possibly have that dumb, completely idiotic decision made by the Marlins, baseball is the one that could tolerate it Mm -hmm. because aside from batter at the plate near the catcher and runner at first near a first baseman, you're never really coming together. Right. All right. Runner on second base. Nobody's really holding him to the bag. Usually. Same thing at third. Nobody's usually holding them to the bag. Uh, sure, you could have somebody slide into a base and, you know, there's some sort of contact there. But aside from runner at first, batter at the plate, not a ton of, of contact. Um, I haven't watched the Marlins games yet against the Phillies. Perhaps, you know, catchers I – know, I know some catchers have, some first basemen have been wearing masks. So even that takes out those couple of danger areas. I know mm-hmm. – I saw Anthony Rizzo wear a mask. Out, he was handing out hand sanitizer. He was handing, yeah, he was handing out hand sanitizer. Like I've, seen, I've seen first basemen and catchers. I saw Pablo Sandoval wearing a mask at first. First basemen and catchers have been taking that extra step. Um, again, those are the two places where you have that constant contact, close proximity. So of all the sports where someone could have made a boneheaded decision like that, baseball is the one where thankfully the Phillies are okay and have gone through multiple rounds of negative tests. But I just still can't believe how dumb the Marlins. I mean, and I'm down here in the Miami area now for work and just the, the, the radio, TV, around the office, Marlins fans, everybody's saying the same thing. Like, there's no way around this. That was the dumbest decision that could have possibly been made. It absolutely was. And I was getting ready to talk to you about the expanded playoffs as I'm looking, you know, towards the show for this week and things we're going to talk about and then the Marlins happened. Yeah. But the expanded playoff, I just – our biggest question, and Tim Kirch in our first interview, one of the questions we asked him is if they play a season, will there be an asterisk over it? And he said, we have to treat the champion of this season like a true champion, which I agree with. But and he said the number of games was right around the 60 mark. Yes. Anything less than that would be not fair, but that was like the gray area. So he considered 60 to be an appropriate number. And what makes the playoffs so great, especially in baseball, is how hard it is to reach the postseason. You have 30 teams in baseball, only 10 of them make it to the playoffs. And four of those teams, two in the AL and two in the NL, play a one-game wild card to see who moves on. So it's really only like six teams that are locked into knowing that they will play multiple games in the postseason. 
Now you're putting more than half, more than half the league in with 16 games. And I get, you know, it's money. I think a big part of it too is the fact that they're giving a little cushion for teams that if players like Juan Soto are out for seven to 10 games, and that's a big part of their team, they're giving a little cushion, a little room for those teams to maybe drop a few games and then they have a chance to sneak into the playoffs. But man, right off the bat, I mean, some of these favorites to win the World Series, the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Astros could be playing these three-game series and could be feeling the pressure right away. So I'm cool with expansion. I've been wanting expansion to 16 teams for a while. Um, Question is, you know, is 16 too much? Because now it's more than half the league, but it's no different than what the NHL and NBA do, where 16 make it, 14 don't. Uh, In those leagues, the eight seeds really don't count. They get eliminated all the time without any issues. Baseball's a different story, though. A lot trickier of a game. So with that being said, by allowing these extra teams in, if they were to expand at some point in the future, I'm, again, I've always been in favor of going to 16. The one thing that I always maintained is that first series still has to be at least five games, as, as would the DS series. Because in a five-game series, the better team still usually wins, and you're not back against the wall right away. Three-game series is it's so, so unfair, and you're just begging – for people to to poke holes in the legitimacy of this postseason because say the Mets, my Mets sneak in as the AC. First of all, we don't even know that they would play the one seed because the whole other gimmick of having a playoff draft of picking your opponent, which is also inherently stupid, but you've got say it they say the one seed wants to abide by seeding and they pick the Mets, all right, and it's one eight. Uh, Braves Mets, okay? DeGrom's on the hill in game one. Odds are you're going to lose that game or at least be in trouble in that game. So if you lose that game, you're down 1-0. In a five-game series, that's not a problem. You have time. In a three-game series, you have to win two games in a row or you're gone. I mean, that's not fair. I know it's a shorter season, 60 games. The reason that in a 162-game season – it's a limited playoffs is because people want the regular season to mean more. Otherwise it's a big long slog. that doesn't mean much in the end. So I could, I, I get what they're trying to do, but again, it's just too gimmicky. I would have been fine with if you wanted to do eight teams in each, but it's a five game series. If you wanted to take a page out of the NFL's book, what they're doing now with their expansion, do seven teams, one seeds still get the buy. Two versus seven in a five-game set, three versus six in a five-game set, four versus five in a five-game set. And now you've got your last four. There's your DS series, another sequence of five-game series, LCS, World Series, seven-game series. So you still honor the one seeds by getting buys, and then the rest of – then it's a a couple of five-game sets in each. So that gets you to to 14 teams. So if you for the purists who don't want more than 50% of the league in the playoffs, you're still just below with 14 in, 16 out. I think a, I think an NFL type playoff solution would have worked. Again, no problem with 16, but the whole pick your opponent and it being a three game series is just begging for people to not take it seriously. Right. And to go to your point about NBA and NHL and how they put half the teams in my, my thing, especially with baseball, is just they play so many regular yeah. season games. I mean, 162. Yeah. At, 
at 162 games, you know what teams are looking exactly. like. That's why I like that they only put a third of the league in because you get the best of the best. But again, with 60 games, they're trying to give teams as much chance as possible. Even if you wanted to do like the old NFL style and put 12 teams in, six in each, and give the first two buys, it still gives you more of a chance, more representation, but just 16, again, still can make an argument for, but for a three-game set, it's not, as stupid as, it's not as stupid as the Marlins playing with the positive tests, but it is a couple tiers below on the stupidity ladder that it, it's top seeds are completely at risk and pick your opponent. I mean, that's just begging for, you know, see right here, this little bulletin board. People material. to make a mockery of it. In it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, last quick baseball thought, Joe, before we get into our amazing guest this week, Mike Greenberg. The Astros played the Dodgers this week, and Joe Kelly was not shy when he took the mound. No, he wasn't. He faced Bregman, and he faced Correa, man. And we knew when these two teams were going to meet, there would probably be something. Did you expect it, though, to happen this quickly and with that much dramatic? Did you just expect a pitcher to hit the batter, and that would be it? Maybe we'd see... The bench is clear, but, I mean, did you see all the extra stuff with Joe Kelly, you know, calling him curse words and stuff and giving him faces and all that stuff? That was great TV last night. I, coming into the shortened season now, different if it would have been a whole normal season, but coming into the shortened season, I didn't think that teams were going to forget about it. That's for damn sure. But I thought we would see teams in their division wait until the last time they play to do something so there's less of an opportunity of retaliation. For example, the Mariners just played a four-game set. They didn't do anything right. out of the ordinary nefarious throwing at players. They have six more. I think in game nine or ten, the Mariners might throw at the Astros as a, hey, we didn't forget about this. Screw you guys. And now there's really no chance for the Astros to retaliate. They'll probably have a long memory and retaliate at the beginning of next year. Yeah. But that's next year's problem. So – the tricky thing was going to be interleague play because they don't play as many times. Yep. And with the way the matchups went, the Dodgers-Astros was the only one where the Astros would be playing someone that was directly impacted. So I had Dodgers-Astros <laughs> circled on my calendar, yep. and it did not disappoint. I'm a little surprised that Joe Kelly took it to the next level of like taunting as he went to the dugout. Me too. Because that just made it more obvious. I thought he was going to leave it at throwing him. I was also surprised that he threw at two batters in one inning. I thought mm -hmm. he would leave it at one and that was it. But he looked for Bregman's head and he looked for Correa's head. And then when he went to the dugout, again, just a taunting. Um, people were questioning why Kelly even did it because he wasn't on that Dodgers team back then. But it made sense because he's trying to endear, further endear himself to his teammates. But he wasn't t totally unaffected by it because in 2017, he was on the Red Sox team that was beaten by the Astros before the World Series. So he was impacted by the Astros. Wasn't with the Dodgers. So a lot of people on Twitter last night were confused, like, why is Joe Kelly doing this? But he was still impacted by the Astros in that season and now just further endearing himself to his teammates. But incredible theater on TV last night that was. And you're going to see a lot more of it as the season goes along. I think people were naive to believe that teams would forget about it because it's all oh, sure. look at the circumstances right. 60 games no they're still gonna do it and we saw that and we're gonna see it a lot more as the season goes along have you seen the video of oral hershiser from last night's game talking about when he was on the mound how he would 
retaliate when guys got onto the base pass when they were on first base and he would throw like low seeds over to first base and sometimes hope to maybe hit guys in the ribs or whatever. And Joe (laughs) Davis was like, really? And Oral was like, I'm not condoning anything. I'm just saying that's some things I would do. And then they show Joe Kelly throwing over to first, like a low rocket or whatever, as Bregman's over at first. It was pretty interesting. So I did not see that. There's definitely ways. Look, I don't condone it. I don't condone it because I don't like the idea of using as a baseball, a baseball as a weapon. Uh, but I'm not going to, if anybody deserves it, it's say, yes. Yeah. If, if there were ever a time where it was deserved, yeah. uh, it was Chase Utley when Syndergaard threw behind him after he broke uh, the leg back in the LCS of 2015 of Ruben Tejada. And it was the Astros now. So I'm not going yeah. to condone it because it's dangerous. And I wish that pitchers would aim for, you know, the butt cheek, the rib cage, the arm, but not the head. The head's scary. So I, I hope yeah. that pitchers don't go head hunting anymore like Kelly did last night. I uh, saw so a tweet that I liked last night. Uh, it said, coming, uh, coming this the next fall, uh, pandemic head hunting on National Geographic with Joe Kelly. Because <laughs> that's, that's awesome. what he was doing last night. I mean, he throws 100, too. So yes. 100 around the dome. I mean, that's, that's scary. That's, that's scary stuff. Um, what's not scary stuff is Mike Greenberg, who we got coming up. Awesome conversation. We hope you enjoy it. The great Mike Greenberg talking COVID, talking Jamal Adams trade, and a whole bunch. For this week's guest, Mike Greenberg of ESPN. Greeny, thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule. Before we dive in, most importantly, you and the family safe and healthy during these times? We are. Thank you for asking. We're all doing well. Um, you know, my daughter had to come home from college, and it has been just, a, for, as it has been for everyone, just a crazy time. But it have been some very nice moments in it as well, you know, having my kids home, which was something that I wasn't anticipating. And, um, you know, most importantly, we're all healthy. So thank you very much for asking, and I hope the same for you. Yeah, all good on this end. And that's what's most important, all we could ask for right now. And uh, now, switching gears to all the sports topics at hand, uh, you and I share one thing in common, and that is that we are both very disgruntled Jets fans. Uh, oh. It's been a heck of a roller coaster ride with this Jamal Adams saga, and finally it has settled. What were your thoughts when you, you saw the trade was announced and the compensation the Jets got? Well, so I think that there is both a little picture and a big picture way of looking at this. The little picture is that the Jets did extremely well. Um, this was a test for the general manager, Joe Douglas, and how to handle the circumstance. And he's still so new to the Jets that, you know, fans have not really had the opportunity to get much of a read on him. So this was the first super high profile thing that he's really done. And I don't think you could have possibly asked for it to go better. Um, you have a player who was, who was demanding to get out of town, who the whole league, I think, perceived to be someone that you needed to give away. And I think most of us were frustrated last Friday and, and Saturday morning because we thought that the Jets would get pennies on the dollar for him if they did trade him. The fact that he got what I think can only be described as outstanding compensation is a huge win. So in the small picture, I think that that's great news. Uh, the big picture is you don't win championships by trading away great players. Of course. Um, and, and when the Jets drafted Jamal Adams, I've become very close to three LSU guys based on my show and work. Uh, Booger McFarland, Marcus Spears, and Ryan Clark. And all of them told me, Greeny, this is a guy who becomes the cornerstone 
of your franchise. This is an emotional, spiritual leader of your team. It's not just what he brings on the field, and he's obviously a great player. It's what he brings in the locker room. It's what he brings every day on the practice field. It's, it's a guy who eats and sleeps and breathes and lives football, who actually, as it turned out, somewhat controversially said that he would die on the football field. And while that's not the way you want someone to put it, it is sort of the mentality you want from your players. So I don't think that you win championships by trading guys like that away. Um, and further, it just continues what is a horrendous streak of getting nothing out of first-round picks, I mean, the Jets over a five-year stretch had six first-round picks, and not one from 2013 through 17, not one of them signed a second contract with the team. They wound up trading five of them and cutting the other before the end of their contract. So that's that's the express train to stinking, um, and that's why the Jets have stunk, and that's why they haven't been in the playoffs in a decade, and it is frustrating to watch. So. I think the little picture response to the Jamal Adams trade is a very favorable one. I think the big picture is just continued frustration and dismay. And big picture hopefully changes if Joe Douglas hits on the picks, but all those picks are his hope. And you mentioned all those whiffs in the first round during that span might not have mattered all that much anyway, because Tom Brady was still King in the AFC East, but I'm sure you were as happy as I was to see him finally leave the division. How do you think he's going to fare in Tampa? And do you think New England will be able to just kind of keep the machine going with the insertion of Cam Newton or Jarrett Stidham into that offense? Well, the, the answer to your second question is starting to feel like no. And the reason True, is with the opt-outs, with all of these guys opting out. If you had asked me that question a week ago, I might have answered it differently. But it is impossible not to notice how many Patriots are opting out. And I, I don't know what, if anything, to read into that. But, you know, important players, as, as we are having this conversation, you and I, I just saw the news that Patrick Chung is one of them. And we had the news earlier that Dante Hightower, Hightower excuse me, is one of them. And, and, and multiple important members of the Patriots team. So um, I think that makes a difference. One of the things that I think we've learned from the Patriots is that it is not – the way to, to be a great team is not to have five great players. It's to have two great players and 30 good ones. So I don't, I don't think you can lose all these good players and not have it affect you. Um, so that, that's, that's that thought. The, the, the previous thought, as far as whose division I think it is now, um, I, I guess by default, Buffalo. I'm not a huge fan. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of the quarterback, but we'll see. Um, I do like the acquisition of, of the receiver that they made during the offseason. The defense is legit. Um, I almost want to pick them to win the division kind of by default because, I mean, again, the Jets were not very good last year and they traded away their best player. Um, the, the, the Dolphins, I think, are, are on the come. I think that's a team whose future looks very bright, but I don't think they're ready to win 10 games this year. So I think it comes down to the Patriots and the Bills. And, and um, you know, I always give Bill the benefit of the doubt. But these defections, not defections, that's the wrong word, but, but these, uh, these opt-outs, whatever they're going to officially be called, I, I think have to be taken into consideration. So if you made me pick it right now, I think I would pick Buffalo to win the division. Greeny, speaking of those Patriots, as you mentioned, we've seen a bunch of players opt out due to COVID. Other players from other teams have done so as well. Are you optimistic that if the NFL does have a season, they can limit these cases throughout the year and keep players safe? 
Yeah, you know, here's what I've said going back to the beginning of the pandemic. I'm going to be optimistic because it costs the same as being pessimistic and it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more fun. So I'm going to remain optimistic, but I I also promised my audience that I will also remain realistic. I'm not going to lie to them. And so I won't lie to you. You would be out of your mind not to, not to be extraordinarily concerned about baseball or, and or football's ability to pull this off. Hockey and basketball, by by the nature of the sport and by nature of where they were in the calendar and a variety of other circumstances, got this thing right. You know, they moved their their activity into a bubble. And I think I'm almost certain, as certain as you can be of anything in the middle of a pandemic, that they're going to get this thing done, that that we will have a basketball champion and we will have a hockey champion. And I would actually... Uh, predict that they will be satisfying conclusions that the, the virus will not decide the title. Now, putting on your baseball. hat. Oh, go ahead, Greeny. Well, I was going to say, with baseball and football, it's very hard to make that prediction. Um, you know, it's almost impossible to with with what has happened already in the baseball season. Less than one week in, it's very difficult to picture with these people all living in their homes and living in their communities and traveling and everything else and playing these very in the case of football, very physical games, it's very difficult to picture this not running rampant through the league. And and then are they prepared to deal with that and still play a season to the conclusion? Um, Again, I'll be hopeful, but I I am also skeptical. Yeah, some great points you bring up. Putting on your hat now of just being a sports fan, what's it been like for you personally watching – these sports return, whether it's golf, baseball, some of those basketball scrimmages, soccer, without fans? Have you even really noticed it watching games? No, I, I would say it's been glorious having the, the sports back. And, and you notice it every once in a while. You notice it in golf, um, you know, when there's a great shot of, of someone makes a putt or whatever it is, and there's just this silence. But in some ways, I rather like it because there are a lot of dopes who go to golf events and love to yell and scream stupid annoying things when guys hit the ball so I I, I love not having that um, and, and and I look I just love having it back I mean the fans are part of the experience but they, they are not the totality of it so I will certainly take this over the um, over the alternative and I will say that one of the things that I learned over the last few months I don't know that I needed to be reminded of this but I certainly was, is just how much I love this stuff and how much I'm dependent on it, not only uh, for my professional considerations, but just personally, I love it. Like I don't watch television shows. I don't, I don't binge watch shows. I didn't watch Tiger King and I didn't watch <laughs> any of these shows don't that waste everybody your time on it. <laughs> was watching. Yeah. I mean, I just couldn't be less interested. Um, the only tiger I'm interested in is Woods. Um, and and the, the only king I'm interested in is LeBron. I, you know, I, um, I, I, I like sports and sports usually are more than enough to keep me entertained, you know, pretty much 365 days of the year. So I've not had to depend on anything else. So I've sat and watched a little TV with my family um we've watched a few you're gonna laugh at me um but the show svu law and order svu and uh, i've become a huge fan of that show uh, uh, you've never okay. seen svu i've not it's either, very no. good 
It's one I'm of those things like you. I always watch sports, so I've never gotten around to, to watch it. It's one of like the that. Law and Order. It's a Law and Order spinoff with Mariska and Ice-T. It's very good. So we'll watch generally most nights when we can. We will sit down to the four of us, which is great. And then we will sit down the four of us and watch one episode of that, which is an hour. And it's nice. And then they will all go on and want to find something else to do. So I forward to the NBA returning uh, towards the end of this week with games that matter. And, um, you know, it's starting to feel good again. And I just hope against hope that they're all able to go on. And, of course, you mentioned the NBA. When the Rudy Gobert positive case came about, it shut literally everything down. Uh, now, as we see the Marlins have over 17 people in the organization test positive, and unfortunately that number continues to rise, do you think the NFL is kind of watching that on pins and needles, remembering what happened when just Gobert tested positive back then? Or, or do you think that they're just kind of supremely confident in their own protocols Going forward, I won't touch on the NBA or NHL because, again, they're different with their bubbles, but the NFL specifically watching the Marlins and the MLB. Well, I think the NFL has the benefit of being able to learn from everybody else's mistakes. Um, you know, trial and error is the only, uh, the only proven method of getting anything right in the history of human civilization. And when you're to do these things in the middle of a pandemic with all of these sports, it's almost anything anybody does because we're all kind of flying by the seat of our pants. I think that the NFL gets the benefit of having seen um, what the NBA got wrong and right, or what the NHL gets wrong and right, what major league baseball now is getting wrong and right and others. So I think that they have that, uh, that is a benefit for them. Um, as I said before, I, I just don't know how you imagine a world in which the virus does not impact a sizable number of football players. And assuming that it does, uh, they obviously have a plan in place. They have the benefit of all this time to put a plan in place and, you know, they'll have to do it. And it may very well involve having like floating bye weeks you know, it could be that like, you know, the, the Buccaneers are supposed to have, I'm just making this up their bye week, week six. But if they have a certain number of players test positive that week, then they're just going to push the bye week to another time and give the team a chance to, you know, things like that. I, I'm not telling you that's what they are going to do. I'm, that's just one of the thoughts that came to my mind, um, that they're going to have to have plans, I think, for some flexibility. And I think certainly have plans in place for the possibility of everything getting pushed back. Like, you know, the Super Bowl is scheduled for February, whatever day it's scheduled for. Um, you know, they, I would imagine, are going to be prepared to push that back a week or two weeks or a month or whatever it takes in order to accommodate whatever the circumstances are. And, you know, again, they get the benefit of, of time to plan that stuff and, and they get the benefit of learning from the, the problems that befall the other sports. So I give them the best chance um, because they get the, the opportunity to see how everyone else does. Now, Greeny, all this talk, you know, about COVID has been a little depressing. So we'll try to have a little lighter question for you. I know golf is your favorite sport. So my question for you is if you could have your dream golf pairing, you and three other people of your choosing to play 18 holes with at any course, who would those three other people be and what course would you want to play at? 
Okay, so that's a, I, I love these. So, so there's a couple of questions. Are you talking about three golfers, or are you talking about any three people in history? Uh, you can do both if you want. I was just thinking any three people in history that you want. Well, I mean, like, is the answer like you know Tiger Woods, Ben Hogan, and Jack Nicklaus, or is the answer like you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, John Lennon and right. people like that? See, I don't exactly. know that. I don't know that those people would be very interesting to play golf with. <laughs> um, so I'd like to have I'd like to have a post round beer with John Lennon. Um, I'm allowed to include dead people, or do they all have to oh, be yeah. alive? Absolutely, absolutely, whoever you want, dead people. Alive. So, so. John Lennon would unquestionably be one of them. Um, uh, uh, such interesting questions. Um, you know, John Lennon, John Irving, and uh, I don't know, I've got to think of a good fourth one. Some brilliant artist or poet or someone like that who would tell fascinating stories like uh, Salvador Dali or, or, or Pablo Picasso or, um, you know, so, someone like that. But golf, let's go to the easier one. Yeah. Because golf is a good one. So uh, I would like to play with Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, and Ben Hogan. And where would we play? So, so the best course, the highest rated course in the world that I've never played is Cyprus. Right. So, I, I mean, I would like to play Cyprus. Um, if, if my favorite courses that I've ever played on is a three-way tie, I can't choose between them no matter how hard I try. Because uh, you can put them in any order and not be wrong, and that's fine. Valley. One round, just because I enjoy the, the travel piece of it, I would say Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, and Ben Hogan, and we'd play at Royal County Down. Okay, very nice. Um, before we let you go, we have two segments we like to do with all our guests to cap off each of our interviews. First is the Swift 7, which is seven rapid fire, anything goes type questions. You just give us your answer in a few words or less, and then Joe will give you a trivia question at the end. So question, okay. num question number one for you, Greeny. What is your favorite sports venue that you've ever been to? Augusta National. Favorite location you've ever done a show from? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, I think when we did the show on aboard the USS New York, um, we did Mike and Mike uh, on board the USS New York. Th that was uh, an extraordinary experience. We got a, a private, we got a, a tour, not private, but a tour of the ship from the from the captain um, and sort of witnessing. But that, that ship was built with, with part of the steel in the hull came from the World Trade Center towers. Um, it was built in the, in, the, in the aftermath of September 11th. Um, and being around the captain of that ship and all of the, the people serving on that ship and the way, the respect that they showed to the captain that we saw. And so if I've I was never in the military. So getting that opportunity to see up close the way that worked, um, that was a day I'll never forget. There, there have been a few, but... That was the first one that jumped to mind. Very cool. Um, number three, athlete you've never gotten an interview but would like to. Um, an athlete I've never interviewed. Uh, so I assume you mean someone who's still alive. Um, yeah. Meaning, meaning someone I still could interview. Sure, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, uh, Shama, that's a really good question. I, I've been blessed. I've, I've had the opportunity to interview most of the really of the of the greats. Um, you know, uh, well, it's 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 tough to say. I'm just thinking through the different sports and who I've never had a chance to interview. I mean, I've never. I, he's still alive. I've never had a chance to interview Willie Mays. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I would love to talk to him about. You know, if he wanted to do it, to go back through the history. I, I've met, but I don't think I've ever actually interviewed Hank Aaron. I would love to interview Hank Aaron and talk at great length about um, about his experiences when he was breaking Babe Ruth's home run records and so many other things. Um, those would be two that come to mind immediately. Um, I'm sure I'll think of others, but, but those were the first two that jumped to mind. And number four, what is your favorite movie? My favorite movie is Casablanca, which is uh, Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman. Mm -hmm. I think it's the best movie ever made. I, I think it was it was just it was absolute. It is absolute perfection. Um, I, there are there are no number of times that I could watch that movie that I don't find myself completely riveted by it. And I will tell you that my wife and I and our honeymoon were in Casablanca. Uh, we went to Morocco for our honeymoon, and when I was boarding a little plane. Uh, in Casablanca to fly from there to uh, another city, Tangiers in, in, in Morocco. Um, I started doing the famous speech uh, that Humphrey <laughs> Bogart does when he says, you're getting on that plane, and if you don't, you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. And I thought I was being so clever, and I could tell the, the expressions on the faces of all of the flight uh, attendants we're all basically thinking the same thing, which is here's another idiot American doing Humphrey Bogart. So I clearly wasn't the first person ever to do that. Probably weren't the last either. Number five, favorite New York jet of all time. Uh, that's so hard. I mean, I, I will have a place in my heart for Joe Namath forever. I, I, Joe Namath was like a deity in my home when I, when I was growing up. I've many times said my mother would have left my father for Joe Namath and my father would have applauded it. Um, but but I, I really didn't get to see Namath in his prime. I'm, I'm too young. I saw him at the very end of his career as a Jet. And, and I was just a little kid. So my favorite Jet of all time is Joe Klecko. Um, and I think it is a an absolute travesty 100%. that he's exactly not in the Hall going. of Fame. He belongs there. He clearly deserves it in my opinion question number six Jets Super Bowl victory Northwestern national title in football Northwestern national title in basketball you could pick one of those to see happen which one do you pick uh, I can't choose between the Northwestern ones I, it would be one of those two for sure I mean I love the Jets and I will always love the Jets but Northwestern is my home and and those are my people and uh you know, my daughter is there now. Uh, she isn't there this minute, but, but she's <laughs> a, a student there now. Uh, I couldn't choose between the basketball or the football or the women was Northwestern. And as you may know, in the women's NCAA tournament, the first two rounds, the first two games are played on the home court of the highest seeded team yep. in the pod. And that would have been us. So we were a week, we were a week away. I mean, my whole family was flying and my daughter was already there. And my son and my wife and I were all flying to Evanston to go to those games um, when the pandemic hit. And, and that was such a terrible shame. And 
they had such a great year. Um, and they have really good players. Lindsey Pulliam is a terrific player. And Abby Scheid, who graduated now, and Abby Wolf, who graduated now. They were a, they were a really great team. So I, 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 I couldn't choose between any of them. I, I would say that when Northwestern's men's basketball team made the tournament, we went out to Salt Lake City for the games. That, that was the most I've ever enjoyed a sporting event in my life. And, and um, you know, being able to, to be there with my family was unbelievable. And we beat Vanderbilt in that first game. Um, that, I, I would say that was the one I enjoyed the most. But um, I couldn't choose between any of them. I, I'd give anything to see any of them happen. Uh, last one, you made it through the Swift Seven. Favorite moment as a Jets fan? Well, you know, it's so hard to say. Like, going back to my ch- – you know, things just matter to you more when you're a kid than they do. So, I mean, I remember when the Jets – in 1981, the Jets needed to win their last game of the season against Green Bay to make the playoffs. And they had never made the playoffs in my conscious lifetime. The Jets had been terrible through the 70s. I was born in 1967. I, I, I clearly do not remember them winning the Super Bowl in January of 69. I was not even a year and a half old. So I had never seen the Jets play in the playoffs. And my dad and I went to the game, Shea Stadium. They were playing the Packers. And it was, it was the famous one more sack game where they just – and that was the sack exchange that was Klecko and Gastineau and Salam and Lions. Their pass rush was so good. And we st- the fans, we were all chanting, one more sack, one more sack. And I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I think we sacked Lynn Dickey 11 times in that game. And, and uh, Johnny Lamb Jones had a big day, and the Jets won that game and made the playoffs for the first time in my lifetime. And we went on the next weekend, and we lost to Buffalo at home – 31-27 in a game that we gave up a touchdown on the opening kickoff and we were receiving. Um, and, and then we were way behind and then Todd brought him back and, and, and threw an interception at the very end when they had a chance to win. So that everything just seemed to matter more when I was a kid. But I've really enjoyed it now with my son having developed my a similar sort of passion for the Jets. I've enjoyed that. And, and so, you know, being able to watch some of the, the good Jet games with him under Rex, you know, some of the playoff wins was really fun. But um, if I had to pick the one, I think it was that day when the Jets made the playoffs for the first time in my life. Not a bad one to pick at all. Going to channel my inner Hembo here for your greenie like we did last week when we had Dan Orlovsky on the show. And I heard your appearance on the Michael K. Show's last one standing. So you're you're in prime trivia mode right now. Uh, the question to, to wallow in our self-pity of our Jets fandom just a little bit more. Uh, the franchise has only had eight players make the Pro Bowl since 2015. Can you name five of them? And here's the depressing hint. None of them are on the team anymore. So eight <laughs> Pro Bowlers since 2015. We want you to name five of them. And as we do for all our guests, it's a 90-second clock that PJ will start once you're ready. And three strikes, you're out. All right. Jamal Adams. That's the easy one. <laughs> Leonard Williams. That's two. Um, none of them are on the team anymore. Um, thinking through the defense. Uh, 2015. So that would be at, well after Beavis was there. Um, have we had anyone else in the defensive secondary? I'm going to say no. 
30 seconds, uh, Greeny. you got a minute left. Plenty of time. Okay. Um, so on the offensive side, any offensive linemen? I mean, would that be too late for the DeBrickashaw Fergusons of the world? Um, was Mangold already gone by then? Mangold is, Mangold is one of them. Mangold is one. Okay. Mangold so that's, that's kind of hard to – 2015 is a – it's kind of a, a, a middle ground there. That would have been the beginning of Bowles. Oh, oh, oh. Um, so that, that would have been the, the good year that we had with Bowles, or he should have made the playoffs with Fitzpatrick at quarterback. Um, so I don't – Eric Decker wouldn't have made the playoffs. But who was the other receiver that year? The Jets had another receiver who had a big year. Why am I blanking on who it was? Um, you still got all your strikes, 20 seconds. You need to get two more. Yeah, I, I'm blanking on who that was. Um, boy, my mind is – my memory is not what it used to be. Um, it wouldn't have been any of the – it certainly wouldn't have been any of the quarterbacks. Uh, maybe the defensive player. Who, I, I, there's got to be someone very obvious I'm forgetting that's going to bother <laughs> me a lot. Um, but I don't have – go ahead. Yeah. Give it yep. to me. Yeah, give it All to right, me. So it, who was the other receiver the, other the year receiver, that they had Decker? The other receiver was Brandon Marshall. You had it right there. All right. Yeah, that's it. So, I lost you there for a second. Give oh, me again. Uh, you broke up. It was Mo yeah, Wilkerson, Durrell – the ones I didn't say were Wilkerson, Rivas, Brandon Marshall, who else? Chris Ivory, and then the kicker, Jason Myers, snuck in there in 2018. Okay, so I would never have gotten that. <laughs> I, would nev I, I would never have gotten Ivory either, although he did have a great year. Um, yeah, I mean, look, and not one of them is on the team anymore. It just sucked. I mean, <laughs> rooting for the Jets just, if you'll excuse my language, and I know this isn't, like most people's standards, really bad language, but rooting for the Jets sucks. There's yes, really no does. other way. For the last decade and, and, and beyond, it has been just – just so frustrating and um, and just not a lot of fun. Yeah, Green, we can't thank you enough for taking all this time. Uh, me personally, this was really nice. I don't I don't mean to date you or make you feel old, but from kindergarten through senior year of high school, driving to school in the mornings every day, Mike and Mike every single morning on the radio. So this was a thrill and a pleasure. And and thank you again for taking the time. And we hope you stay healthy and safe with your family going forward. Well, the same to you. Thank you for the kind words, and best of luck, fellas. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Greeny. Appreciate it. Stay safe. Can't thank Mike Greenberg enough, our amazing guest, who you can see every morning on Get Up. You probably heard him on Mike and Mike in the Morning. He's got his new radio show, The Mike Greenberg Show, coming up. Nice of him to spend some time with us. We only thought we'd get about 20, 25 minutes out of him. Got about close to 30. So that was awesome. Gave us a lot of great information. I thought it was interesting, the golf pairings, when I asked him that question, when he went the John Lennon route, and he said, like, Salvador Dali, and Yeah, he was right. Picasso. You could take that, you could take that a lot of ways, that question. Uh, he had a very interesting, eclectic group for the people who have passed, and that, some of those guys, uh, but to the the golfer route. I mean, you can't get a better. That's a you'd be hard pressed he, to find a he, better. He heard trio. that question and he's like, "Oh, I love this stuff." Immediately, so immediately, stuff. Tiger Woods, Ben Hogan, and Jack and Nicholas. Yep, it. that was great. But I mean, as a Jets fan, getting his insight on Jamal Adams was great. Also, I love how he gave this the stuff too about how he's really close with Marcus Spears, Booger McFarland, Ryan Clark, all LSU guys. Where Jamal Adams played his college ball, so they know him really well. But I agree with everything he said that we've talked about off the podcast. We thought the Jets got 
great value. Both sides really, I think, did well. The Seahawks rarely ever use their first-round picks, so to them it's like, you know, to give up a couple for Adams, we don't really see it as much of uh, a bad bet for us. Earl Thomas was their guy. Yeah. They they needed a safety, and they feel like they've got their safety to people. This year was the first year in a little bit where they actually made their first-round selection. They always trade back. So Schneider had to be sitting there in his GM office in Seattle saying to himself, all right, do I want to do what I usually do and just trade back and, and pick up a couple of, you know, second rounders that I hope become stars? Or do I just give them both up for Jamal Adams, who is a bona fide perennial all-pro future Hall of Famer if he's healthy? Not even in his prime yet. He's still only, what, 25 years old? He's, he's, still, he's still very young. So that doesn't happen often, like a guy like that coming available. So it, it was a no-brainer for Seattle. Yes, they gave up a lot, but you have to think about where they're coming from, that they don't usually make their first-round picks anyway. You have to think about the fact that they are ready to win a Super Bowl now. You have to think about the fact that Pete Carroll and his defenses, they love the safeties, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor. They've got their own little legion of boom brewing again mm-hmm. with Jamal Adams as the, as the perfect guy to make it go. Kind of your hybrid between a Chancellor and an Earl Thomas. You have that now in one hybrid player. Yep. Uh, it made sense for the Seahawks. It made sense for Jamal Adams. He goes somewhere where he can win immediately. He's not really going to get the attention that he got in New York or that he would have gotten if he wanted to go to his hand-picked destination of Dallas. But Seattle was on his list of teams that he wanted to trade to. So he wins in that aspect. And the Jets win. Uh, The Jets weren't close to winning. They're still a year or two away from being legitimate division contenders and then beyond that, title contenders. Joe Douglas has a plan. You as a Ravens fan, he comes from your background. He cut his teeth in that franchise and with the Eagles. When the Jets hired him, people around the league, you know, the Jets are always kind of the stepchild that gets picked on by people around the league and in the media. But the media, executives around the league, they were all unanimous. Couldn't believe Joe Douglas that they landed Joe Douglas. Thrilled for Joe Douglas. Beautiful pairing. Douglas is the next great GM mind. And he's shown it so far. He, on paper, he had one great draft and a really, really good free agent class. So he's already two for two in that aspect. Again, he has to prove it going forward, but now he has the ammunition to do that. He has two first-round picks this coming season, two first-round picks in 2022. Getting rid of Adams, that would have been $18 million of cap space they would have had to give him. That is now free. Le'Veon Bell's probably going to get cut after this season. They have an out in his contract. So they have all that money from Bell, all the money they're saving from Adams. They're going to be near the top of the league in cap space, in addition to having four first-round picks in the next two years, plus the young nucleus that he's already starting to build with Darnold. Got the left tackle, Mekhi Becton. You got Denzel Mims, at receiver. They have talent that he's slowly putting together. Perfect trade all around for all parties. I personally would have given Adams the money if he weren't a headache. People were saying, you know, oh, he's just a safety. Safeties aren't that valuable. I wouldn't pay that safety $18 million. The statistics and the eye test show that he's much more than a safety. He's a pass rusher. He's a middle linebacker, and he's a safety. Oh, he's a stud. It's going to take a pass rusher. C.J. Mosley and McDougal, who they got in the trade from Seattle, to replace him. And anytime it takes three guys to fill the shoes of one player, that's a pretty damn important player. So if he weren't a headache, I would have been fine giving him the $18 million right. and 
Look, teams find the money. They figure it out. Look at the Chiefs were literally $177. Not million dollars, $177. Three PlayStation games under the salary cap. And then they gave Mahomes the deal and the defensive end the deal. They gave those deals when they were just barely 200 bucks under the cap. You turn, you turn base salaries into signing bonuses and this and that. You make the cap number come down. So they would have figured out a way when Adam's money kicked in. Presumably, it would have been a deal like Mahomes where the extension didn't kick in until the end of the rookie deal. So they wouldn't have had to worry about it for two more years. And then when they did have to worry about it, they could have tried to find a way to get rid of C.J. Mosley's money, Jamison Crowder's money, Le'Veon Bell's money. There would have been things to do. Yes, they're going to have to pay Sam Darnold coming up, probably, unless that goes totally south. I don't think it will. I think they're going to pay him very soon. Um, and they're eventually going to have to keep an eye towards paying Mekhi Becton as a left tackle. He, again, he has to prove it. They just drafted him now. But you, you start to think about these things, guys who are in – very valuable positions who are gonna in the next couple of years need to get paid Quinn and Williams if he shows out like an Aaron Donald gonna want to get paid so you have those in the back of your mind and maybe that's why a lot of people said I don't want to commit 18 million to Adams but if he weren't a headache you commit the money to him and you figure everything else out afterwards everything is fleeting in the NFL when you have a guy who's a hall of famer who's an all pro in your roster in your building you don't get rid of him that is not good team building but again with the hole they got back from Seattle, with the fact that Jamal turned into a total diva, headache, perfect had deal. To get rid of had to get rid the of Jets, him, perfect deal. The Jets know, too, I think, that for the first time in 20 years, they feel like they could win the AFC East. I mean, you always... Yeah, maybe not this year, but like the following year, yeah. Sure. I mean, you always go into a season hoping that you can win the division. But realistically, the Bills, Dolphins, and Jets knew that it would be a tough hill yeah. to climb to beat New England. Now with Brady gone with all these players sitting out for the Patriots. They're on the decline a little bit, although you never want to count them out with Belichick. They definitely feel like, look, maybe the Bills are in win now, right in win mode right now. The Dolphins are definitely building, building and, and coming up. And the Jets, I think, feel that they're that same way. They got all that draft. The Bills you talked yeah, the, about. The Bills are a win now team. The Dolphins are a four years out team. The Patriots are in teardown mode. Yeah. The Jets could kind of looking at the rest of the division again Dolphins four years away Bills win now Patriots coming down the Jets are a year or two away yeah so that, there's an alleyway in there for them if they make the right picks and the right signings with Joe Douglas where right the division there. could be theirs in a, in a year or two so that's something to look to and really something that you have to keep an eye on now is if the Jets go out and get Jadeveon Clowney because then that takes this deal to the next level because by trading Adams to Seattle knowing Seattle's going to have to commit money to Adams. They can't get Clowney anymore. Made him free. They can get that, was already, get that money. He already tweeted a screenshot on FaceTime with Jadevian in which he said to the Jets, come get me. So if out of all this, the Jets were able to come out of it with McDougal, Adams, two first-round picks, and the ability to sign Clowney because the Seahawks don't have the money, then it takes it to the, to the next level for Joe That's Douglas. That's true. Well, well, that was great getting Greeny's insight on that. We talked about golf being his favorite sport. It's time for us to preview the WGC, the World Golf Championship, down in Memphis this week, the St. Jude Classic. Joe, you were close last week in uh, Minnesota. Tony Finau, as it seems like he is almost most of the weeks, was right there in contention, couldn't get the win. Let's not even talk about my picks. 
We'll go right into Memphis, though, this week. Stacked field. All the stars are playing virtually except for Tiger. So, Joe, who do you like this week in Memphis? Well, first of all, my pick last week officially ended up being Wolf, who came in 12. So, two picks. Oh, was it? I Wolf thought you were Finau. No, I ended up I, – I, I was talking Wolf and Finau, but I sided with Wolf because of the better value. Mm. So, I had a good week last week in that both of my picks were right yeah, there. But, again, good. still still no winner. Um, this week, you know, I actually should have gone with Finau, though, in the end. Obviously, he came in third. Wolf was in 12. Though Wolf did have the lead at one point. I don't know if Fina – I'm trying to – did Fina ever have the lead at one point? I think play? he did. He did maybe he? tied for the lead, yeah. Hey, but the winner in Thompson, first real long shot since we've gotten back on tour, 100 to 1 uh, before had the tournament started. I haven't won on tour in seven years. So if you had that one, hand clap for you. Well done. Yep, yep. So this week my pick is Webb Simpson. Um, as we've started doing these picks more and more, and I, I've started to kind of get even more into the specifics than I was even before we started the podcast regarding golf, I came across something that – it talked about how great Webb Simpson is on Bermuda putting greens. And he has two wins since the tour came back, both on Bermuda putting greens. And that's what we have here. And he came in second here last year. So a lot going his way, um, playing well, his surface that he likes, loves the course second place here last year. It's got good value as well. Uh, I'm just trying to find the updated line on him. Uh, 22 to one. 22 to one. The odds I checked yesterday, it was 18 to one. So even better now at 22 to one, uh, that puts him at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth, eighth best odds at 22 to one. Good value. I go with Webb Simpson. Joe, I'm tearing up over here. I'm blown away by the Bermuda putting yeah. stat. I mean, that was well <laughs> done. Next level. Love Webb this week as well. I think he'll be right in for contention. You know, I fill out my DraftKings lineup every week. I love doing that. Last week, John Rahm went, or two weeks ago, when he won the Memorial, the highest guy that you could get was like DeChambeau, McElroy. They were like 11,700. Rahm was 9,200. I mean, he was down there, and that was great value. This week, two weeks later, after he won and became number one in the world, he's the favorite, and he's 11,400. So he jumped all the way up. The guy that has great value this week, who I think is going to play well and win the thing, is Abraham Answer. Most probably haven't heard of him if you don't follow the game of golf. But if you take out the last two weeks, he didn't play last week in Minnesota, but the Memorial. Before that, three straight events, he was top 15. So he was playing well. He's a good putter, good ball striker. And with, with again, a big field, he'll get lost in the shuffle. People won't talk about him. And no cut this week, too, at a WGC. Guys are playing four rounds every week. So you look for somebody. That'll be consistent, make birdies, we'll avoid the big numbers, and we'll have a good day each of their four days. And that's why I think Webb's a great pick, and I like Answer as well. So we'll see what happens. It should be a lot of fun. And, Joe, if you can believe it, next week is our first major of the year, baby. So excited for it. I, I, thought, about, I thought about a guy like Kepka this week, but knowing that the PGA is next week, I think some of those guys are going to kind of keep something in the reserve tanks, especially Kepka that – his knee isn't a hundred percent. Yeah. I think this week, I think I, I genuinely don't think he's going into this week with the intention of winning. I think he wants to work out some of the kinks in his game, figure out uh, what's going to help his knee out and make sure he's a hundred percent for the PGA. So that's what kind of scared me away from some, a guy like that this week, but again, no tiger this week. He's resting for next week as well. And Kepka should be a, a favorite as he does well in the majors every year. It seems like for the past couple of years, We've talked football, Joe. We've talked golf. 
We've talked baseball. Now it's time for a little NBA and hockey. So we record this on Wednesday. The NBA returns on tomorrow, Thursday. right? Thursday, yeah. And then Tonight, it, technically, you know, when you're listening. Yeah, right, when this, the episode yeah. drops. And then the NHL starts Saturday? So Saturday. Saturday. Scrimmages are going on now. I love the look of the arena. Uh, it's very. I do too. I love the Stanley Cup in the center circle. Oh yeah, yep. They they did a really good thing in as far as closing off the seats and making it kind of just compact, so it's not this big cavernous arena that's empty and echoing. It's tighter. Uh, watching the broadcast yesterday, the Flyers Penguins, you could hear the the skates, the stick blades, the players. It was great. It was almost it almost kind of gave me a vibe of a Winter Classic, where when you watch a Winter Classic. Because you're on a, on a whether it's a baseball field, football field, when you're seeing the shots of the game, there's no fans along the glass. They're all in the distance in the stands. So it reminded me a lot of watching a Winter Classic game. Now, there's, of course, no cutaway shots to fans or aerial shots where you can see the fans. But it reminded me a lot of watching that where they have extra mics in the glass on the ice. Um, you can't see the fans around the glass anyway. It, it, I don't know if you've taken a, a look at I watched a little bit, yeah. But it, it, it really gave me the vibes of, of a Winter Classic game. They had the spider cam, too, as well, above, hovering above the ice to give you an alternative angle. So they really did a good job. I can't wait for, for the schedule. To, it'll be like March Madness with games all day, oh, yeah. one after the next. It's going to be unbelievable morning tonight. Um, so, look, we've already previewed both leagues, really. Next week, it'll be nice to talk about them to see what teams are doing. But for right now, I'll give everybody just an NBA bet from the opening couple games. I'll give everybody a hockey bet. My NBA bet, again, I probably wouldn't bet the first couple days of the NBA, especially the regular season, waiting to see what teams look like. You don't know who's going to be playing, who won't be playing. But I do like Utah on opening night tomorrow or today on Thursday when when the game starts. Jazz are plus two and a half against New Orleans. I think Zion's such a big public draw, and because of him, because people might still be torn up on the Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell situation, thinking that they still there's a rift between those two, I, I like Utah. I think I'd take them on the money line outright to pull the upset, if you will, over the Pelicans, but definitely plus two and a half to win the game. I don't want to pick hockey games yet, uh, just because same thing for you, I'm not sure yet. And the NBA is still different than hockey, where for the NBA, some teams are still going to ease into it a little bit. Not everybody's competing for a playoff spot. In hockey, it is the playoffs. So I'm not sure what the intensity is going to be like. We know that playoff hockey is fluky anyway. Um, So I, instead of looking at a game, I turned my attention to uh, a series, betting on the outcome of one of the first five-game series. Now, I'm very tempted to take the Rangers at plus 112, but I'm not going to be that much of a homer and do that. So I look to another Eastern Conference series. It's something that we talked about a few weeks ago in our preview, uh, the Panthers and the Islanders. The Islanders, I think, are really well constructed as a playoff team defensively and with Barry Trotz at the helm. The Panthers, another team with a championship pedigree coach and Joel Quenville, but they don't have the team that the Islanders have. They were in sell mode at the deadline. They were ready to punt on the season. Lo and behold, they make the playoffs because of the expanded field. Mm-hmm. So I was a little bit surprised at how tight the odds are on this one. The Panthers are even money. The Islanders are only minus 120. So I think that's really good value on the Islanders to, to win that first series. Again, I don't, 
next start next week and I'll, I'll I'll give you a game pick in this segment right um, but for now I, I like the idea of a series pick in the Islanders I think they're I don't I, I honestly think they can sweep the Panthers so if you could find anywhere uh, that gives you odds on like the the correct series um, score actually I just looked it up the Islanders are plus 550 to get the sweep I would even think about sprinkling that on there I, I think the Panthers are among the teams that really just consider themselves lucky to be here and knowing that the draft lottery was won by a placeholder and the loser of these series will have a 12.5% chance at the number one pick. Don't underestimate that with the Panthers, a team that was looking to just punt on the season and start retooling. Uh, lucky to be here, have a chance at the number one pick. Islanders knew they were going to be here, want to compete in the postseason. Give me the Islanders on minus 120 for the series, and maybe you think about sprinkling – uh, a 3-0 series sweep at plus 550. I like it. I like it. So, again, we'll see what happens. Great to have those sports back in the tests for those two sports. Nobody has tested positive in the latest rounds of – And I'm very confident in both of those, especially hockey, because they got the hell out of the U.S. to right. Canada, where the True. cases are a lot lower than the U.S. So not only are they in a bubble, but they're in a Canadian bubble where there aren't many cases around them. So hopefully they can continue that. Usually right now, before we do trivia, we do where would you go, Joe? But, Joe, you know what? I looked at this week, and I'm like, there's Not seriously good. nothing that happened fun. on July 30th. So, you know <laughs> what? We're going to have some fun this week. There was something going around Twitter. John Butchagross, an anchor for ESPN who's awesome, he watched all 22 Pixar movies, okay? In order. In order. Release. Uh, in release. And he gave his rankings 22 all the way to one of what he thought the best movies were. So and now the got... first thing I want to agree with him on is the fact that he made it a point that from one to 21, they're all great films. The only absolute dud at number 22 is Cars 2. And he's totally right. Pixar don't miss. Well, that's what I was going to say is, you know, I was making my list of a top five, which we'll give everybody our top five Pixar list. And I'm like, I mean, I could literally make a case for like 11 movies in the top five. So do you want me to go five to one? Let's go five to one. Five to one. Okay. I'm giving you fair warning. I cheat on this list, but we're going five to one. Okay. All right. (laughs) Do you want me to give five and then you'll give five or you just want me to give Let's go one each. You give five, I give five, Beautiful. all the way down to one. My number five, again, tough to give it, but I'm going to go with Onward. Have you seen Onward yet? Yes. That's actually, that's actually my number five, too. Is it really? <laughs> Joe, I was blown away. I'm like, you know what? I really just I don't want to watch this movie. I've heard good things, but what? fantastic. I was Anybody excited who haven't for seen it, it, highly recommend. I was excited for it, and I went to go see it, Three days before the shutdown happened, I went. I was down here alone in Florida back when I first came here to start working. Um, Friday night, nothing to do. Don't know anybody down here yet. Things weren't really closed down. I hopped on the AMC app. I saw that the theater was pretty much empty. It was like a 10 o'clock movie. Um, so I, I, I wasn't afraid of being around people because I could see that the, the seats were all empty. It was me and there were like three other adults in there who were like sitting far away from me. And it was great. Like, I loved it. I, I watched it again during quarantine with my girlfriend when it popped on Disney Plus because she hadn't seen it. Um, loved it more the second time. Noticed more that I didn't notice the first time. Great movie. Great movie. And I think it's going to get lost in the shuffle because it didn't really have the big theatrical release and success as the others because a pandemic forced theaters to shut down. But it was great. 
I agree with you. Number excellent. Chris Pratt and Tom Holland are the Great stars together. in that one. Great movie. Three and four were awesome. It was tough, but number four, this is going to be a stunner to you. But I have to go with Toy Story one. And again, okay. Toy Story is one of my favorite franchises ever. Probably is my favorite. Toy Story one. There's not a single person who's seen it who doesn't like it. I mean, Tom Hanks, Tim Allen. What more do you need to say? Fantastic movie. But, again, the top three is just so strong. And I don't think Toy Story 1 is the best of the Toy Stories, so I, had to put it, so I had to put it in number four. It's not. So, for me, uh, number four, I go with Ratatouille. Love okay. Ratatouille. It's a really movie. good movie. Underrated. Patton Oswalt is tremendous in that movie. Um, I, I don't know really what it is about it versus some of the other Pixar movies that are good. Again, they're all great. But I just really found myself as a kid, like, drawn to this movie. Yeah. I don't know if it was the food, if it was the rats. I don't know what it was, but I really <laughs> love food I mean, the rats. That's really the whole movie right there, food and rats. You can get yes. those both, but I really enjoyed it. The whole concept of a rat controlling a person to, to cook. I, I really Pretty enjoyed bro- that movie. Like, that's number four for me. Thanks. So <laughs> and it turns people, it into man. such a good movie. Pixar is incredible. They are incredible. Number three, Joe. So again, I told you Toy Story and this movie were tough, but I'm going Coco number three. Coco is the last 30 40 minutes of that movie are sensational. It takes a little bit to develop the plot. You you got, you know, they got to give you the backstory and everything and how it's going to tie all together. But man, when they tie that thing together, it is like a beautiful goddamn rap present. And the music is excellent. Just absolutely loved it. If anybody has not seen Coco, do yourself a favor and go see Coco. So for me, for three, I have up love up incredible movie. Um, Really pulls up the heartstrings right out of the gates. And then it's just really fun all around. Uh, again, just, just <laughs> Pixar's concepts. Like so good. balloons <laughs> tied to a house, house travels. <laughs> it's incredible. Right. <laughs> and you say, oh, that is my number two. Okay. The best opening scene of any children's movie, not named Lion King, is up. Okay. I, I mean, that, those first 10 minutes with him and his wife, Ellie, and just how it tries together. You, t- you want to talk about, too, about when you're naming a movie and how many different ways they could have named that movie, but to just simply make it up. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. It's a great movie. What's your number two? Number two for me is Inside Out. Perfect movie. Incredible. It was actually number two for Butcher Gross as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just the whole concept of, like, diving into someone's emotions and the whole adventure they had in this girl's head, Riley, as she was moving and navigating a tough time in her life. Beautiful movie. Loved it. Um, I really had a tough time as far as you mentioned it before. I meant to mention it before as well. Not putting Coco in my top five because Coco is a great movie. I think it has to do with the fact that of these, I've only seen it once. Mm. Um, I still haven't gotten a chance to watch it a second time. Uh, so, so I think after I watch it again a time or two, it's pro- I, that's the one where I put a label on it, like reserve the right to rise on this list. And I think it really will once I see it again. Um, but it, it's just so tough to crack the top five. But as of right now, right, before we reveal our number ones, if I had to guess, I'd say of, of the ones that didn't crack my top five, Coco, after watching it a time or two, I think has a decent chance at supplanting uh, five and four for me. I think it's got a chance to come up to three. And Inside Out just missed my cut. Again, kind of like you with Coco, I, I've only seen it once and it was uh-huh. a couple of years ago. I'm sure, I remember liking it a lot, but I'm sure if I saw it again, I'd really enjoy it. Yeah. 
like Find onward might have been a recency bias for me because i saw it twice in the last couple months okay. and i loved it so that's five there you go ratatouille just i remember liking it a lot as a kid and still whenever it's on i put it on uh, i'm excited i know at epcot they're coming up with a ratatouille ride so i'm curious to see how that goes but um like I said, I think I think after I watch Coco a couple more times, it's probably going to push Onward and Ratatouille back a spot each. So good. So Inside Out just missed the cut for me. Nemo, Finding Nemo just missed the cut. And Cars as well. I agree. Cars 2 probably towards the back end is one of the worst. But original Cars, I love. My number one, Joe. Joe, we might have the same number one for me. I guarantee you we don't have the same number one. <laughs> for me, my number one is Toy Story 3. Okay. And okay. I just look for, for a movie for the best movie of the series, not to be number one is pretty impressive for it to be. The third one is even more impressive. I just remember seeing that movie for the first time, walking out of that theater and being like, that was the best toy story they've ever made. Yeah. And if it's the best toy story, then it's gotta be number one on my list. And that's I told you I cheated on the list. Okay. And the way I cheated is that my number one is just toy story franchise. One, oh. two, three, and four all time. I mean, that's um, fair. That's my favorite movie franchise. What's your favorite time. movie of the four? I was going to get to that. I think all four of those are head and shoulders above. And this is just a testament to how great Toy Story yes. is. All four of those are head and shoulders above the rest of Pixar's home runs. Toy Story 1 revolutionized animation. Yeah. Toy Story 2 built on that. Three and four were just incredible movies on their own. Um, so I, I would have felt like an idiot making my list those four and then something at five. So I decided to go with tied for one, all four of them. <laughs> of the four, my favorite is also Toy Story 3. Incredible movie. The whole passing of the torch thing with passing on the toys. I mean, you mean to tell me that if you were in that theater when I was at I was in fifth grade. Not uh, crying. Not, when they were not ready like to go. Ready. exactly. When you think the toys are about to be incinerated, incinerator, and then yeah. the aliens come in with the claw. That's incredible. Incredible. Incredible so movie. And then when um, Andy goes to Bonnie's to play with them for the last time. Oh my god! I still cry at that part now after like having gone away to college and stuff. Like we talk about geez. how good the movie is too. I mean, you got a friend in me. It does not Great song. get any better. Great song. Than that. And I and I I think uh, uh, a friend of the pod, Ryan Warmly. Uh, he, he wasn't as high on Toy Story 4, and we had this discussion. I loved Toy Story 4. Uh, Forky was a really fun character. I, again, liked the whole uh, kind of adventure of it. The ending of that one also, if that doesn't make you shed a tear, with the whole, you know, the, the way Buzz and Woody said goodbye. I mean, come yeah. on. Like, you're not human if it doesn't. I saw that <laughs> twice in theaters. Admittedly cried both times. Uh, I'm, like, uh, I, I think, again, Gras said the same thing in his Twitter thread. He's a movie crier. I'm also a movie crier. Dan Orlovsky said that last week in our interview with him as well, that he's a movie crier. I'm the same way. Uh, and, and both of those, every time, end of Toy Story 3, end of Toy Story 4. From top to bottom, I go 3, 1, I'm sorry, yeah, 3, 1, 4, 2. And again, not big gaps. I think 2 sure. is the weakest of the movies. I go 3, 1, 2, 4. I think 4 is the worst of the bunch. Still a great movie, yeah. but... To Toy Story standards, I think just because three and one three. though are definitely the two best. I am totally with you on that. All right, Joe, it's that time for trivia. And just we gave Mike Greenberg a Jets question, hitting home with him. So I believe you have a Ravens question for me, and then I got a Jets question for you. I do. I do have a Ravens question for you. Uh, I will ask you the question first this week because sounds you good asked it to me first last week. Uh, so they had tremendous success last year on the first team All Pro. They have five 
five first-team All-Pros last year. They had tremendous success from 2000 to 2010 with guys like Ed Reed, Jonathan Ogden, Ray Lewis, plenty of success. But there was a little bit of a dead zone, a little bit, from 2010 to 2015, okay? Eight guys only. I say only, like other teams, you know, that's still pretty good. But by the Ravens standards for the decade preceding and and after it, uh, eight guys were first-team All-Pro in that kind of dead zone for them from 2010 to 2015. Give me five of them, and let me get the clock set for you. From 2010 to 2015, eight first-team All-Pro players. Some had multiple, so more than one first-team All-Pro honoree, uh, but only eight total players. Just give me five of them. Your time starts now. Well, the two locks are Suggs and Yonda. Yes. Um, Ray Rice. Ray Rice did not. Okay. 2010 to 2015. Yep. Um, Ed Reed? Ed Reed snuck in there. 2010 was his last one. Okay, There's three good, for you. Good. I mean, Ray Lewis was drafted in 96, so that was year 14, 2010. Um, let's see. All pro. I mean, their best receiver was Bolden, but I don't think it was him. Oh, hello, Nada. You said Nada and Suggs already? I the did not giveaways. say Nada. I said Yonda, Yonda. Oh, 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 well, Nada too. There's, okay. There's four. Okay. That's funny. <laughs> and um, you know what? I think I got this with the fifth, Vontae Leach. Vontae Leach is right. Boom. Good job, PJ. Was, was Ray Lewis on there? Ray Lewis was not. His last okay. 2009. Good. So the rest um, of the guys. You want to keep going? Keep going. I mean, the okay. last three guys, I mean, was it Sam Cook, the punter? Was not, no. Morgan Cox, the lawn snapper. Nope. No, okay. All right, yeah, who were the other three? The last couple were Justin Tucker. It was Tucker, okay. Justin Tucker made it. Uh, another kicker, less famed, more hated, Billy Over? Cundiff. Oh, Cundiff. 2010. Okay. Billy Cundiff okay. in 2010. Nice. And then Jacoby Jones in 2012. As a kick returner. As a kick returner. Those are the other three. Great question at five because I would have had to either gotten Cundiff, Leach, Tucker, or Jones. It was, yeah. it was the five I would Exactly. That's why, that's why I made five the cutoff because I, I figured the four were kind of slam dunks, but even among that, Reed was a question mark because of the year. That 2010 was his last one. And then I just wanted you to pretty much get one of the obscure guys. And you got it. So there you go. Three. Three out of ten. Three. 300 hitter, MLB hitters, bat 300. You're in the Hall of Fame for a career. There we go. Very good. Yeah, that was a good question, Joe. I, I enjoyed that one. So I'll give you a, a Jets question. I think you'll like it. Kind of the okay. same thing, player-oriented. Um, we're looking at 2010 to 2016, okay? okay? That is Mark Sanchez and Ryan Fitzpatrick were really the, the quarterbacks for the Jets. There were four other guys that started a game for New York during that time period from 2010 to 2016. Can you name those other four guys? Okay. Time starts now. Kellen Clemens. Not Kellen Clemens. He was 2009, right before. Oh, yeah. He started the Buccaneers game when Sanchez hurt his knee. Um, 10 to 16. Yep. Okay. Greg McElroy. One. Sims started a game. I know that. Up in Buffalo. Sims. Sims. Yeah, Sims on that list, right? Uh, he is not. Mm, might have to have a challenge on that one. I know he started a game. 
Um, it's 2016, you said, right? Yes. Okay. All right, so Fitzy, Sanchez. I mean, you're missing, you're missing a big one. This guy. Well, well, yeah, no, no, Geno Smith. There you go. There's yeah. two. Yeah. So you need, you need two more from 2010 and 2016. And we're still pausing on, on Sims there. I know he started a game. Um, unless I have the year wrong, but I'm positive he started a game in Buffalo that was just atrocious. I don't – see, Tebow's a tricky one because he might have – they might have run his package to start a game, and it technically gave him the start. Um, I'll tell you, Tebow is not on there. Okay, okay, because that might have been a, a tricky one, one there. Um, you got 20 seconds left. You need two quarterbacks. Okay. 2016, 2010-2016. Uh, that would have been before Bryce Petty. Yeah. Five seconds. Yeah, that's it. Bryce Petty was one of them. He's he was one of them. Damn 20, it. 2016, he started. And then the other one you were missing was Mike Vick. Started three games oh, 2014. Yeah. <laughs> Good old I'm Mike telling Vick. you, hold on. I got to look this up real quick. I'm positive Sims. So 2010, so Clemens got one start in 2009, him and Sanchez. Then 2010, 2011, Sanchez started all 16. 2012, Sanchez started 15. McElroy got his one start. Then in 2013, Gino started all 16. 2014, Gino started 13. Vic started three. 2015, Fitzpatrick started all 16. And then 2016, Fitzpatrick started 11. Petty got four. Smith got one. You got me. Sims came in early in relief of Vic in a game that Vic got hurt. So I felt, I felt like he started, but he did not start. So there you go. I should have, you know what? Pulling back Mike the Vic, curtain. I would not. I, the Steelers Mike Vic, I remember. Yeah. Jets Mike Vic would have gone over Pull, my head. Pulling back the curtain, he gave me a question that I thought was ridiculously hard, and I got it right. And then I made you give me this one instead, and I got it wrong. You so that, that just goes show? to show you should just you go with it. I know. You know. I tried. I tried I, to help you out. I know. We're gonna call. We're gonna. You know how if you two and a half around, is it? Two? If you, yeah. If you turn on around the horn, some people on around the horn do have half wins. I'm gonna give myself a half victory on this. Sounds good. Uh, I'm making the executive decision two, to say two fifty. I'm batting two fifty. You're batting three hundred. The question that I originally gave you that we went to this one was the team that the Jets have never beaten in their franchise history, which is kind yep. of incredible. They've never, never beaten, beaten them. It was the Philadelphia Eagles. And I got it. I would have gotten it at the buzzer. With, so. You had two strikes, too. You originally guessed the Packers and the Niners, and then you got Philly right at the buzzer. Right at the buzzer. They're 0-11 against Philadelphia. I, I, I said I thought it was too hard and that we were trying to give each other like player-oriented questions this week, so find me a player-oriented one. But let's do it for fun. And I got it right. So 2.5, you have three. So next week, for the first time, you have an official lead. And it'll be up to you if I ask or get the question first. So there you, you go. Have a half win lead. I'm curious to see now, as we go forward with this, if I'll be able to get back to a whole number or if I'm going to be stuck on a half number for a while. That's great. That's a, you almost need a pandemic to get you back to, to get rid of the uh, half games like they are in the NBA. You know, everybody's you know. just at, at a fair slate now. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll see what happens. Joe, I'm rocking my O's gear today because they play the Yankees today and tomorrow, and they will not be – have a winning record after those two wait, games. Wait, did you hear that? Glaber just hit another, another – Yeah, ball. I'm sure he did. He <laughs> left the yard. So that'll be, uh, that'll be enjoyable. I don't know – I don't even know who the hell we got starting on the mound today. It doesn't even, doesn't even matter. But uh, 
That was a lot of fun. Mike Greenberg, I mean, does, it doesn't get much bigger than that, Joe. So. Mike, Greenberg, Mike Greenberg, sports Pixar movies. Number 10 podcast. Like, there we go. What do you want? If you can't enjoy this podcast, then you just don't enjoy fun. I don't know. You what, don't have a soul. You're not a human being. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you know, we, we, <laughs> we just unleashed everything here for episode 10 for you. We got NBA, NHL coming back. God, let's hope that baseball continues and that these Marlins can recover and that nobody else reverts to that level of stupidity. And finally, and have next week. COVID tests sit out. And next week, we finally have more than just baseball to talk about. That is correct. We will. God, thank God. And, you know, we've been joking the last couple episodes. You start a sports podcast without sports, and now sports are finally coming back. Joe, as always, it was great talking to you. And thanks to Mike Greenberg for joining us. We will see you next time for episode 11.